Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. You guys are going through the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. It's awesome. And... I want to tell you a story. Now, this story is probably a myth. It probably didn't actually happen, but it's still a good story, so I'm going to tell it to you anyway. And it's about Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great, the story goes that he was in his camp, military camp one night, and he couldn't sleep, so he started walking around, and he came upon a soldier that had fallen asleep on guard duty. Now, this was an offense punishable by death. And so he looked at the soldier, you know, kind of as he was walking up, the soldier woke up, saw who it was, and was like, oh, you know, was just terrified of what was going to happen to him. And Alexander the Great was very angry, and he said, young man, what is your name? And just full of fear and fright and timidity, he looked back at him and he said, Alexander, sir. And... For a little while, Alexander the Great thought, and then he said this to him, change your life or change your name. Change your life or change your name. I mean, maybe a fictitious story, but you could see somebody like Alexander the Great not wanting to be associated with somebody who falls asleep on guard duty. Now, we carry the name of Christ, And I hope and expect and kind of almost pretty sure that a lot of the people watching here tonight, those of you who carry Christ's name, which I I hope there's some people out there who are just in the investigation phase, that's awesome too, that you say to yourselves, man, I want to carry that name well. I want to represent that name authentically and accurately. And so as we look at the letter of Ephesians... We have to ask ourselves, why did Paul write this letter? It's a letter. Letters are written because of an occasion. They're not a theological treatise. It's not Paul's blog. Okay? It's a letter he wrote to people, people that he knew well, people that he'd probably said all these things before, but he felt like he needed to say them again, maybe. And so I'm going to kind of like pick one verse, and it's from... Chapter 4, verse 1, it should be up on your screen. I'm picking this as like the theme verse of Ephesians. So let's say the purpose, where he says very simply this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live out who you're supposed to be. Change your life or change your name, right? I urge you to live it out. Now, Last, so far, Pete has kind of walked us through, through the first chapter, chapter one, a little part of chapter two, and now here we are in this section that was given to me. It's a great section. I'm like so blessed to get this section. And we see that Christ is our identity, and there's this foundation. But there's, there's more that, that Paul wants to say And what we see in this section that we're at now in chapter 2, verse 11, is we are kind of in a bridge, okay? So this this section that we're talking about tonight and the section you'll probably talk about next week, 
both of those two sections form a bridge. And I made a picture of it for you so you can kind of see it, a bridge, right? And so we peaked on this side of the bridge. We have this thing that Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. So we know that from then on, Paul is going to be talking about how do we live this life out? And then we've been talking, you guys have talked about that this first part is talking a lot about our identity in Christ, right? Over here on this side, we have the identity. And then in the middle, we have this passage over here in the bridge. Now, we're going to pray in a minute, but I want to like challenge you with a thought before we get like diving to our text tonight. This second, this last part of you, have been taking the Ephesians challenge because I listen to all of Pete's messages, so I know about the Ephesians challenge, Okay. <laughs> If you're taking the Ephesians challenge and you've read ahead and you've read chapters 4, 5, and 6, you know that it's very practical. This is how you do life together. This is, this is, these are the things we have to do. And then in this section that we're in, it says very clearly, out of two, God has made one. And it's about the church. Now, this is about living life in the church. This is about the church. So I would say to you that this first part is also about the church. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that this part that we talked about, our identity, is not just our individual identity, it is our corporate identity. So all that stuff in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that's all about our corporate identity in Christ. Now, how can I make a case for that? Well, one, the context, I already told you, that's what the rest of the letter is all about. So it just makes sense that the first part of the letter is about that too. But secondly, the language. Now, we're deficient in English. What are we, you're like, wow, really? Yes, yes. English language is deficient, and it's a horrible deficiency for reading the Bible, and that is that it lacks a clear second-person plural. So if I say you, you know, John, go get me a glass of water, and if I say you, John, Fred, and, you know, Tanisha, go get me a glass of water, it's the same you. And because of our culture and sometimes our theology, when we read the word you, we think it means me individually. But I looked them all up. I looked up all the yous. And they're all plural. And then if you, you don't have to like look up the ones that are we and us because they're already plural. We, those, are, those are clear, right? And so here we have this thing that Paul is telling us. This is who you are. Is it who I am individually? Yes, it's who I am individually because it's who I am corporately. If I'm this thing corporately, then I'm also individually. Does that make sense? And so we have this thing about our corporate identity. I really want you to get that because we miss that. Our language betrays us. And sometimes our culture, because some of our culture here in the U.S. is very hyper-individualistic, and so we, we tend to read that in and miss it. And so we want to make sure that we're saying, hey, this is really all about the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God, whatever terminology you want to use. This whole book is about that. Father, we thank you that you have taken out of the two one. Nobody else can pull that out one off, Lord. That is pretty amazing. And tonight we are asking you to do this to us and for us. Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts that we would understand? Because, Lord, we are talking about things that seem impossible just like Rigo said, these things seem impossible. But Lord, you said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And so teach us tonight, 
give us a view into the impossible, and then give us faith to believe for the impossible. Amen. So what I want to do is move across these passages slowly and, and just read them kind of carefully together and then kind of see what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean? Did it mean to the Ephesians? And what does it mean to us? And then when we're all through with that, we'll look and say, okay, what does it mean for us today? How do we live this out? Okay, what are some of the implications? So what I did for you is I put this... Oh, let me back up one moment there because we're not quite there. Let me... Yes, we're here. Therefore, remember, this is the very first part, right? Ephesians 2, 11. What does it say? The very first two words, therefore, remember. So the remember, I think, is important, right? Remember means I've talked to you about this before. Now, if you had a church in Ephesus, a very cosmopolitan city made up of Jews and Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, people of all ethnic classes, do you think maybe this topic had come up before? <laughs> maybe every day, all the time. Okay, but isn't it funny how he's got to write about it again? We have to remember these things that are true, but maybe kind of hard to understand. And then he also says this, therefore. And the therefore, just like in English, just means this. This part that I'm going to say now is dependent on what I already said. So this part that I'm talking now is dependent on what I talked about before, our corporate identity. But I want to pick one verse out of this first part to use, like we took 4-1 as the main verse of this side of the bridge. Let's take 1-9 as the main verse on this side. And what does 1-9 says? It says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So, what is this mystery? This word is found in this book five times. Once here, three times in chapter 3, and another time in chapter 5. Think about the context of that sighting. It's really exciting because it's talking about marriage. So, Kind of, ooh, cool stuff, right? So there's this mystery. Now, it's not a whodunit, right? It's not a mystery like who did it. It's a mystery of saying this. This is something difficult to understand. It seems mysterious. This seems like I can't grasp it. This is something very unique and so mind-boggling that it's like a mystery. And what does it say about the mystery? Well, it says the why of the mystery, of his will according to his good pleasure. The why of the mystery is this, because God wanted to. That's it, so simple. God desired for this thing to happen. The how of the mystery is because he purposed it in Christ. We're going to see here in Ephesians that the how of everything is Christ. By Christ, through Christ, for Christ. Everything that happens is because of Christ. And then the when of the mystery, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Oh, that's so cool. That reminds me of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. What does he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. There was a time coming. Everyone was expecting God's kingdom to come. And Jesus said, this is it. This is the time. It's here. It's finally arrived. And Paul points to that and he says, when the times reach their fulfillment, that's when this mystery will be revealed. Isn't this exciting? This is big stuff. 
And then the what, what is this mystery? Well, very simply, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, that does sound kind of hard to grasp and understand. God's going to bring everything in unity, everything, all peoples, the animal kingdom, creation, heaven and earth, everything in unity. Wow. That does sound like a mystery. That sounds like something we maybe need to teach about over and over again because we would not get it otherwise. So what I did for you as we walked through the rest of this bridge, slowly walking across the bridge, is I laid it out the way that I lay things out when I'm doing Bible study. So this is a little technique that I use. I thought I'd share it with you. When you have really dense material with like 3,000 ideas in it, which Ephesians is definitely that kind of material, kind of like laying it out to help you understand it. So, you know, I just kind of put things ideas underneath each other. Does that make sense? Like this idea goes with that idea. You also find the rhetoric that's used in, you know, Greek, but don't worry about that. That's not that important. Uh, But you can find like some patterns and and then it kind of helps you to kind of like make sense of it all. So this is what he says. Remember that you, that formerly you who are Gentiles, what did he say? By birth and called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision which is something done in the body by human hands. So he says, you know what, you guys, the uncircumcision sounds a little bit like a slur, doesn't it? Like, oh, those people, they're the uncircumcision. We're the circumcised. Over there, they're the uncircumcision. And you can already see this, like how he's kind of alluding to this division that has existed, just even in the way he's like phrasing it. And then he makes his point about saying, this is something people do. This is just something people do with their hands. Now put a little pin in that because he's going to come back to that. Remember, this is not American writing. It doesn't flow in a line. It kind of goes more of like in a, a circle like that. And so he's going to come back to that in a little while. And it's really pretty powerful. And then he says, remember again. See how it says, remember and remember that you who were, that at that time you were one, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Pretty much things were not so great for you, okay? He's not denying the state of their separation from God. He's making a point of it so that he can make another point later, okay? So, but now, oh, I love those prepositions in Ephesians. Buy yourself a box of crayons, and use them in Ephesians with those prepositions. The ins, the fours, the twos. Those are powerful, powerful concepts. But now, in Christ Jesus, which is a phrase that Paul uses throughout all his writings, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You used to be over there, but now you're over here. Isn't that fun? For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, notice that in again, the law with his commands and regulations through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So you see all those ideas again. Everything that's happened is through the work of Christ. 
And, and he, we see this, this is like the playing out of what he said in 1 verse 9. He's going to bring all things together. Well, this is a little part of how he's doing it. He, he, you have these two groups who are in enmity with each other. And God is, Jesus came and he set aside something that was a dividing wall of hostility. And what was that something? Well, it says it was a law. Now, doesn't that kind of make you like scratch your head? Because the law is good, righteous, and wonderful. Have you read Psalm 119? Okay. The psalmist just goes on and on and on and on and on about how awesome the law of God is. So how did something that was so awesome become a dividing wall of hostility? Well, it happened because the people to whom the law was given misunderstood its purpose. See, the law was given to Israel to say, live this unique way so that all the nations around you can say, wow, their God is with them. Live in this way. You know, don't oppress the foreigner that lives in your mess. That's what everybody else does. I don't want you doing that. Make sure when you harvest your fields, you leave some for the poor because that's, that's the kind of God I am. I want the whole world to look at you and say, wow, that's what God's like. But they didn't do that. They rarely kept the covenant. And then they took the covenant as like a badge, a marker. We're special because we have the covenant. And you don't have it, so you're not special. And think about in the day that they lived, they were kind of in poverty, in, with no political power. But, and you know, he, there's even some Romans in the church. There's Jewish believers and Roman believers Jewish believers didn't think so highly of the Romans, okay? Rome hadn't exactly been good to them. So think about, we look, you know, we're not so happy with you, but this is something that we can feel good about. This is something that we can kind of hold against you, like we have this and you don't. And so something that was supposed, that was meant to bring people in, they used it to keep people out. We don't have to think very hard about our day to see that sometimes we do that as Christians today. That that which is our mission to bring people in, we sometimes use to keep people out. And so the covenant became a, a self thing, a pride thing. And now, but what does Paul say in the beginning of chapter 2? He says, you know what? You're all in the same place. This is how Jesus set aside the law. By, re, by reminding everybody, you're all in the same place. You're all... What does it say? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Who was dead? Everybody. Remember, that's a plural you. You all were dead. You all were dead in your transgressions and sins. But now you all have been made alive in Christ. That's pretty cool. Think about this dividing water of hostility. The Lord took it away to, he, by saying, hey, you guys are all over there. You're all in the same place. Nobody... Nobody can boast about anything over there because you're all the same. You're all lost. You're all a bunch of, you know, sinners. Notice that this is the same topic of conversation in Romans and Galatians and lots of other Paul's writings because he was dealing with multi-ethnic churches in all of his churches, and he had to deal with these issues. And so what did he say? You are all the same over there, and when you came over here in Christ, you're all the same here too because nobody got here on their own merit. What does it say? It is by grace you have been saved. We all got here on this, in the same way. And we can't look down on each other. We can't even look down on the people over there on the other side of the cross 
because we didn't do anything to get on this side of the cross. We have nothing to boast about. So we're all in the same place. So hostility is removed when boasting is removed. And then he says this wonderful verse. His purpose was to create in himself. Notice we can't create this outside of Christ. In himself, one new humanity out of the two. One new humanity, thus making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God. Now, what's the purpose of humanity? Why did God create humanity? To image God to the world. Why did he create a new humanity? To image God to the world. (laughs) It's the same purpose. Remember we talked about that? It says, doesn't that say that in, in Ephesians in the first chapter about the heavens and the earth, we'll see the glory of God. And there's this like majesty that, that is, we see the work of God and it's like, whoa, the whole world is looking at it. And, and not just the world, but the heavenlies and the places below. And so bringing all things together in unity in Christ. That's the purpose of God. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of the kingdom. And... That's the purpose of humanity, just being restored to us. So he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. You see that great parallel there? For through him, in Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So whether you were far away or whether you were close, everybody was brought in the exact same way. And now through Christ, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. I think this by the Spirit is pointing back to that thing done by hand. Circumcision. This is just something people do. But over here, this is something God's done. In chapter 1, he said, you have been marked with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Jewish culture, the thing that marked you as a Jew, the the biggest mark was circumcision. But notice how circumcision was limited to males and males of a certain age. But the mark of God, the presence of God with his people, the Holy Spirit, is a mark for everybody. It's a mark for men and women. It's a mark despite your ethnicity. It's a mark despite your economics. Everybody is marked the same way. Everybody belongs to God, not by something human beings choose, but something that God does of giving us his Holy Spirit. Remember this, the presence of God is the mark of God's people. It's always from the beginning all the way back to Exodus when you know they, God walked with them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, but... Now he's dwelling with us. Ooh, that's so cool. So cool. And and now he comes back to that. Remember that passage from up, up there? And now he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. See how he refers back to the section previously? And then... How is this done? Well, it's built, and now he's using this building analogy. Okay? Right there with the word built, he's already going into this building analogy. Built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to becoming a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. Now, a couple of really cool things here. One is this apostle and prophet thing. Why does he mention that? Is he like giving himself a pat on the back? Maybe a little bit. That's okay. It's okay. But I think he's also saying this amazing work that God is doing of bringing all things in unity, we're being a part of it. Human beings are participating in this work. And that's pretty cool. And that goes all the way back to Genesis and God's original design for human beings. We're to work with him in the things that he does. And so he says, you know what? God's building this amazing building that is not just a building, it's becoming a temple. Right? It says it's a building that's being joined together. Peter also uses this analogy of like holy stones. But it's becoming a temple. What's the difference between a building and a temple? Well, God dwells in the temple. That's referring back again to the presence of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in the temple. That's what separates it. That's what makes it a holy place. And if you missed it, he just reiterates it again because he's a Jewish guy from the Middle East. (laughs) And so he repeats it and being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. What's a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit? A holy temple. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? It's repetitious. Repetition is good. It's the key to learning. Remember that. Repetition is the key to learning. Okay? So, so, I told you I was going to walk you through that. Was that kind of fast? But we're, we're, we're doing great. Okay? So, so what? So what? So three points I want you to walk away with because, like, that's what preachers have. They have three points. Because we figure you can remember those, you know, one, two, three. I count like this, one, two, three. You can tell what part of person, what part of the world somebody's from by which fingers they count. You know, they lift up first. So first thing is to remember this. We are one body. We are one body. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. We were created to be one body. We are one body. Not 10 bodies. UVA Chi Alpha is one body. The Church of Jesus Christ Universal is one body. We're one body. We're not a bunch of disembodied limbs. That's called sick and disgusting. You know, nobody wants that, okay? That's like a bad CSI episode or something, okay? Uh, We're talking one healthy body. And... We need to remind ourselves of that. That's what we were created for. That's why Jesus came. Sometimes the gospel we embrace is a very self-centered gospel. And we think it's pretty much about me going to heaven. The gospel is about me. (laughs) It's all about me and my eternal destiny. Well, God cares about my eternal destiny. But the gospel is actually about him and his kingdom, and his purposes, and his desires. And his purpose is to create out of two, one, and to bring all things under unity. That's just one of his many purposes. So we are one body. I put this picture of the temple there, you know, because we're not only a body, we're a holy body that God dwells in. If that doesn't scare you, 
Nothing else will. Okay? So we got we to gotta, we gotta walk carefully because God dwells in us. Now, in 1 Corinthians, God uses, Paul uses this temple analogy twice. And one time he uses it in, in the singular, and one time he uses it in the plural. So I am God's temple, and we are God's temple. It's both true. The Holy Spirit dwells in me, Belkis Layman, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the people of God. Number two. Our purpose is to image God to the world and to each other even. Can we say that? You ever feel like you got to know God better by hanging around with somebody else? You're like, wow, I didn't know God was like that because I always thought he was kind of mean, but you're so nice. I'm beginning to think maybe God is nice too. That's kind of a little bit my story. We Latin Americans, we're great at prayer and evangelism, and we like fear God and we understand reverence, but the grace of God, not such an easy topic to understand. So I appreciate my white American husband who has taught me a lot about the grace of God. And I've taught him about the reverence of God. So we've taught each other. That's part of why we need multi-ethnic community. Last week, Pete talked about glass blowing. Now, I like glass blowing too. I think it's kind of cool. And there's this artist, I think you pronounce his name, Chihui. Has anybody ever heard of him? Uh, We used to live in Indianapolis. And uh, this sculpture is in the Indianapolis Children's Museum. It is three stories tall. It goes the whole top, bottom of the Children's Museum. It's in the center. It's an open, you know, the, the stairwell is open, and that sculpture fills up the entire thing. And it's made of 302,000 separate pieces. Now, Maybe last week when Pete said something about we're God's workmanship and he talked about the glass blowing, you imagined like a little, you know, vase or a little vessel. And you're like, oh, that's me. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about something like this. That's us. We're God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. He's putting us all together into something beautiful, something majestic, Something that the world looks at and says, wow. And as you continue in Ephesians and you start learning about what it means to to live in generosity and live in kindness and live in forgiveness with each other, that's part of how the world looks at us and says, wow, I didn't know God was like that. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, is we have to fight for unity. Maybe the dividing wall of hostility or the dividing walls of hostility that we have today in the church, maybe here at UVA, maybe in our country, maybe in our world, maybe they're not the Jewish-Gentile distinction. Maybe that's not that big a deal anymore. Depends where you're hanging out, I'm going to (laughs) say, because some places it is. But I would say probably this past year, politics... That you don't have to be like a brain surgeon or, for that matter, a brain scientist, you know, uh, to figure out that that has made, been a huge dividing wall of hostility this past year. The church has gotten sucked in into this political climate, and we have had so much hostility towards each other because we forgot that we don't have anything to boast about. We forgot that. I can't look down on you for the way that you think. 
I can't say, oh, you're an idiot. And if you were a real Christian, you would think this. That's not my job. Now, my job is to like help people to learn things they don't know. Like literally, I get paid for that. But I think as believers, that's all of our job to help each other. So we are to help each other. But we're not to look down on each other or boast and like, well, I think this way and you don't. I'm better than you because of that. And so fighting for unity is a fight. It is a fight. And it requires so much intentionality, so much listening, so much taking things in. And we cannot do that without reminding ourselves that, you know what, we don't have anything to boast about. So, as you're in your, wherever it is you're at, in your room, in your, you're by yourself, either with two people, would you take a moment and talk about this when you're done? Talk about it and say, hey, what is God, what is God speaking to us? What do I need to change? How has this changed the way I see you, the way I see myself, the way I see our community? Father, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? Speak to us, O oh Lord, and, and challenge us like Paul challenged the Ephesian believers to, to not look down on each other, to not boast about anything, but to stand and fight for community and for unity. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.